previously on the Gumpcast. Dude, what are you doing? I'm doing what every good show producer does. I'm taking over the studio. You can't just take over my show that way. Why don't you go ahead and tell us your experience with uh, with bullies? And being really angry at how there there is like a, this imbalance in the world. Like, what did you do with this newfound information or this ideas that maybe the world isn't as safe as you thought it was? It actually had a great revenge sequel to it that I kind of feel proud of sharing. Yeah, we'll start there. Does revenge serve a purpose? And welcome back to another episode of the Gumpcast. I'm your host, Paul Kist. And today we have again with us a very special guest, author of In Search for Gumption and the original host of this podcast, Almar Shaker. We talked about bullies and then we talked about revenge. So while we're on this topic, let me ask you this, brother. Does revenge serve a purpose? Yeah, I think it does. I think if it didn't serve a purpose, it would be something that happens irregularly or doesn't happen frequently. But the fact that revenge stories in movies and novels capture our hearts the way they do, I think says a lot about the fact that it is a tool that we have found useful on some certain level. And we know there, there are so many adages like re- revenge is a dish best served cold. Um, uh, there's a lot of like um, that we can quote from, you know, Machiavelli's The Prince about like if if you were to get back at an enemy, make sure that you, you know, destroy him completely so that his revenge would not be uh, feared. There's a lot of like that wisdom that also comes around revenge. And there's a lot of Uh, myth there's a lot of mythology around it and i think anything with that amount of like attention from us as as a species certainly has a purpose no to what extent does it serve its purpose i think is um the question you know any any revolution also if we think of in the world this is somehow an act of revenge you know somehow like revenge is a reaction that means to restore the balance of life and it's it's like even in our human body uh, a foreign object goes in and that's like a transgression but then our body brings out these white cells to attack it and then you can see that as an act of revenge but really it's for us it's like a restoration right but then at what point do we think oh poor poor bacterial cells you know these these <laughs> these unicellular organisms are like being destroyed by our white blood cells like at what point do we stop do we stop and say or it's like an autoimmune disease where we're just you know, we think we're attacking like the the enemy, but in, in essence, we're just creating destruction of our own bodies. You know, totally got into a tangent here with the uh, with with grade seven biology, but <laughs> the memory memory is very uh, present for me. I think it's a, it serves a purpose, but uh, in many ways, it's like the purpose can be served, and we're still acting in terms of revenge. And so I think maybe it's like about when when do you when do you stop the revenge, or when is the or what kind of revenge even actually serves the purpose versus others that maybe may not serve the purpose that you intended it for. Totally. And I, I want to put a pin in two things. One, your empathy for poor bacterial cells getting attacked by those crazy white blood cells. And, uh, and two, this idea of the context and when, when is revenge not appropriate. But let's talk about when revenge is appropriate because there's something strangely comforting about revenge. And I remember back in 2007, um, I, I dated this woman. By all means, you know, her resume, her character was everything peacemaker. Her, she, she was involved in peacekeeping work, social justice. She was very much, 
in the business of reminding the world that an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. That was her like mantra in life. At the time in like 2006, 2007, my favorite movie was Kill Bill. Whoever I'm dating gets to see all my favorite movies. And so I remember, I'm like, what, how do I remember asking her, what do you think about Tarantino as a director, as a filmmaker? And she says, I'm not really into his films or too violent. I can understand that, but I, I want to, I would love it if you could watch Kill Bill with me. And I sort of shared the plot with her. It's about this um, woman who's an assassin, you know, the, the whole deal. I, for those who have not seen it in the Gumcast audience, you, sh you should go watch this very poetic story of revenge. We watched the first part together and I was really expecting that to be the end of our watching of Kill Bill. And she was so taken by the story and so really in line and feeling the heart of the main character. She, along with the rest of us, want to see her take and finish her bloody revenge against the assassins of that group. Even for someone who can have values that are about keeping the peace, there's, there seems to still be room in all of us. There's a right time to get back at someone. You know, I think in the viewing of Kill Bill, it's like seriously, anyone who I've ever shown this movie to who was, they want to see Beatrix get what's coming. And so, like, I wonder what it is. I wonder what makes us feel so comforted by, what is it about revenge that gives us a sense of relief? I think it might have to do with our hope that the that we live in a, in a balanced world. The stories that, you know, religion and myths give us is that there's a, there's a source or uh, there's something out there that's looking out for us. And no matter what kind of injustices we may have to experience in the world, there is always something that's going to restore that balance because we live in a balanced world. And if, and, and we go so far to believe that if it doesn't happen on earth in this lifetime, it's going to happen in the afterlife. So we're going to, so the, this, this, you know, this person that kicked you in the balls, if, if you didn't get a chance to magically hit the soccer ball in his balls, like he's going to go to hell and you're going to go to heaven because you, so it's like, we, so we, we create this whole narrative and it's been given to us. So I think we, we like to believe that we live in a world that corrects for itself. And therefore, when we see an injustice that is corrected, it, that's where the relief comes from. It validates the stories that we've been told as children. And I just want to throw another one of my favorite revenge movies, which is The Count of Monte Cristo. You ever, you ever watched that one? It's a quintessential revenge story that I really like. And it has that really good feeling in the end where... Because it's, it's about a guy who was imprisoned uh, by his jealous friend. And then his the whole movie is about him, like, figuring his way out of prison and getting back and um, essentially, like, taking over the empire. So, and that that's such a feel-good movie, despite the amount of horrible shit that that guy does in his way to revenge. And, and we tend to, like, overlook that because it's a correction in the imbalance, you know? But then, of course, the the darker side of revenge is that on your way to correcting the balance, you're causing a lot of imbalance too, right? Like we see that in every revolution almost. And I and I wonder where where does one draw the line? Where does one say that <laughs> I'm going to forgive now because that's the right thing to do versus no, I'm going to correct the injustice that just happened. It's no secret we live in a very turbulent world. And I know you and I ha have spoken about 
the kind of world we would like to see. And it's, 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 a, it's a lot more peaceful one than the one that exists right now. I'm, I'm curious where, you know, many of us have experienced when revenge goes bad. It becomes an endless cycle, that, which leads to, you know, everyone a much less version of who they were when this whole thing started. We have these examples of revenge building us up, and we have many examples out there of revenge tearing us down. Where is that line? You know, when is revenge appropriate and when is it time to surrender? Yeah, that's a really tough one. I still think about revolutions in that context a lot. You know, I've, I've lived through one and I don't think we're happy with the outcome, but there was this huge debate during the Egyptian revolution around whether people should go home or people should keep pushing. We were all split, you know, almost in half about what is the right thing to do. And, and still, if we look back at history, we'd see that, you know, the, there was no right answer. Like a lot of people were saying enough damage and, you know, let's forgive. Let's give him another few years. You know, he's not going to like continue ruling for a long time. And others were like, no, this is our moment. This is our time. we got to keep pushing. It doesn't matter if the economy is falling. It doesn't matter if people are losing their jobs. There's definitely a um, trade-off, I think, here. One way to think about it, I think, that, that, that I've been recently thinking about it, is that there's like this sort of, let's say it's like, a, imagine this three-meter circle radius, uh, three-meter radius um, around you. And it could be this sphere, essentially, that you walk around with. And, you know, it could be as, as wide as you make it. It's the sphere of distance and the sphere of um, boundaries that you put between you and the world and might change from one person to the other or one job to the other or one dictator to the other but then you you create like a boundary and you don't need to take revenge or do any act of aggression without this boundary being broken but once someone is in your boundary and then you have you almost have no choice because not acting towards that boundary being broken means that you are allowing someone to essentially make you a victim that doesn't help anyone really not you not the aggressor not the world yeah. and so as soon as you feel like you are a victim to something that is uh, usually a clue that you need to take action but then i think to answer your question the action is the least amount of action that you can take to gain that circle, you know, expel, expel the danger, essentially. But then, you know, that's, that might be like idealistic as well, because um, the danger might come back into your sphere again. And so some, some schools would say, well, you have to extinguish the, the, the threat completely. In some cases, I think that's true. You know, we look now at the Middle East and we look at like the conflict there and it's like, I think the ultimate like, you know, exemplification, it's, it, it, it's, it's a constant act of revenge happening. If it's a situation like that, where you're locked in like this, you know, cosmic karma that might, that, that's not even yours, that you've inherited, and it's just your role to be in a war, then just be a good soldier, you know, that's, just be a good soldier and be the best soldier you can and and like like strike the enemy and try to win because there's no other way i don't know what your uh, peace studying uh, and, and and peace harboring fr friend would say about that but um but i think sometimes you have no choice but to be the best you could in the fight like you know try, try to win
this is one that I often find myself um, really struggling with, especially when I was younger. You know, I grew up as a Coptic Christian. I just remember this message of forgiveness is like one of the main soundtracks of Christianity. You know, forgiveness is kind of the whole point. And uh, forgive and donate to the church. And oh yeah, and and of, of course, ten percent of your salary is the is one of the other <laughs> soundtracks. Definitely not a hidden track. It's 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 front and center, and uh, and so there's this. The, the message they tell us as kids, you know, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek, which, by the way, I'm, I'm learning, you know, as an adult, I'm seeing that this is a, a verse taken completely out of context. We have these little nuggets of if someone asks for your coat, give them two. Or if someone, you know, wants to hit your cheek, turn the other cheek. And without any sort of scrutiny, you get a sense of, you know, we go back to what you alluded to before that. Maybe we can't find balance in this life, but if there's an afterlife, hit hit both of my cheeks today, your cheeks will be hit forever in hell tomorrow, <laughs> kind of thing, you know? And and I think it gets taken out of context where we're taught to just be very passive and just allow things to happen, no matter how grave or how terrible. But there is this concept of, you know, restorative justice or this idea that justice can be served in a nonviolent way. And I wonder if maybe that's what the scriptures talk about when they say, you know, turn the other cheek. It's not being passive, but it's about being smart and intuitive and understanding the human soul and knowing how to bring healing where there is injury. I think we can imagine that our bullies have been bullied by somebody at some point. Anything that a child or even a grown-up would do that undeservingly harm another can only come from a place of hurt is what is, you know, sort of behind that theory. And I, I'm sure there are psychopaths out there who are just doing things for the fun of it. And that's a whole other category of things. I'll put that in pathology and not in sort of the sort of regular social, social dynamics we're talking about here. But there's this one story that will, that still sticks with me as an example of how justice can be served, but not always by revenge. And uh, this was a roommate this was a former roommate of mine uh, from when we were in college together. Uh, he is Sikh. You know, he was very devout, really great guy. Um, we were close friends for a number of years. Now, in 2001, we all remember, uh, you know, September 11th happened. And it was a really tough time in the U.S. for Arabs, Middle Easterners, even people not from the Middle East, who don't even speak Arabic, just all of us brown people were conflated in one bucket as potential threats, enemies of America. Arabs all over the US were putting American flags in their front windows and their cars just to remind everyone, hey, I'm still your neighbor. I'm still the guy that borrowed your sugar, you know, two weeks ago when we had that barbecue. My roommate at the time was commuting on the train. My roommate was on his way home from work and this drunk gentleman, who was also, I guess, on his way home from work, saw him, saw the turban on his head, said something along the lines of him being a terrorist and he shouldn't be in America, and punched him in the face. I don't know if there were hate crime protections in the law back then, but regardless of the motivation, he struck another person unprovoked. And, and so when the time the trial came, 
everyone, all of us, we are looking forward to this guy being put away for a very long time. Now, my roommate had a different idea in mind altogether. During the time of the sentencing, he asked the judge if this man, rather than serving time in jail, where he would probably continue to live a life surrounded by violence, having more violence inflicted upon him and him on others, could he spend the next year or a few years doing community service for the Sikh community in Long Island? So here's this guy for all intents and purposes deserves to be in jail, was given an opportunity to serve the community he had inflicted violence against. And so spent a year being part of this community and they welcomed him. And during this year where he served them, this guy went through a whole transformation of himself. At the end of his sentence, when his community service was up, he himself stood in front of the Sikh community, dressed in Sikh garb, you know, with tears in his eyes, um, thanking them for essentially changing his life and for healing him. It's like this magic that happens if we can feel safe enough to recognize the humanity in someone else. So imagine for someone like my, like my roommate, you know, at that point, the guy was already put away. He was on his way to jail. He had the, the power to say, okay, what can we do here? He had the, he had the space to make a decision not just from a place of hurt or victimhood, but from a place of power and wholeness and along the lines with how he sees the world and his own values. And then result is, you know, the end of that cycle. The, the cycle ended there with that healing. And I think the marker that, that, that you framed was if, if someone is in the feeling of victimhood, what is the bare minimum I can do to get power back? It's, it's a wonderful thing to think that this can be the way people um, go about life. I don't know how accessible it is to everyone, though. Yeah, and I think in the moment, it's very inaccessible. If I'm on a train and someone punches me in the face, the first thing going through my head isn't going to be, I wonder what his childhood trauma was that led him to punch me in the face for no exactly. reason. That's not what's going to happen. Um, yeah. I'm going to do what it takes to stop the violence either by fighting back or some other some other means. I'm, I'm just going to give away something that, about the part that I'm writing now where it's like it's it's mostly about a battleship that Muscat somehow ends up serving on. And the whole quote that this battleship stands after is a war for peace. Like it's it's a lone warrior and it's like it's a battleship that's made to fight for peace and it's a very controversial thought but even in in the global arena not just like you know personal situations like the one you said on the train we see it all the time right we see especially america trying to free other countries through war but back when that ship had started it was it was more about world war ii where the threat was i guess realistic than much more realistic than the threats we see nowadays where it's actually like we've created the enemy and then we're fighting the enemy. So this idea of war for peace, I think, is a very convoluted one and spans our whole history. Totally. I mean, look at the arms race, the nuclear arms race. There's this belief that because the presence of nuclear arms in the right hands will 
almost guarantee peace for the world because no one, no one like it, it just it creates a balance that makes sure no weapons are fired. And who's to say that one country one day won't just use it for some reason that we don't know about yet? So it's uh, it's kind of a as they say it's a cold piece. I think with that, I turn the mic back to you, sir. This has been great. Please cue my epic music. Let's end the show the way it's supposed to. Well, Paul, I, I gotta give it to you, man. I really enjoyed this episode. I'm glad you put me in my vulnerability seat. I got a taste of my own medicine and I gotta say it's bitter, but it has been healing. And I feel like I'm uh, a changed man after this episode, having, having had the courage to share this. So I have a profound appreciation of everyone that was able to share a story so far. I almost took it for granted at this point, being the show's host. So thanks for giving me that extra empathy, um, to put it alongside my empathy for bacteria and unicellular organisms. Um, you've been a, you've been a great, uh, show host and I have a feeling this is not going to be the last time, you know, how much I love revenge. So I'm also going to drop something on you on episode in episode eight, that will be a curveball, but I'm not going to announce that now I'm going to allow people to join us on this ride, but I, it's been a really exciting episode, man. I can't wait for the next one. I'm game. I'm game to see uh, what's going to come out of it. So yeah, let's make it happen. <laughs>